Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Earlier this year, Matt Jogar released his fourth album, The Excellent Between Tonight and Tomorrow. Then he set out on a tour of his homeland, Aotearoa, New Zealand, with compatriot Karen Fields, and they released the song Your Heart of Gold. There will be more releases from the pair, but Matt has also returned to the title track of his album and recorded a different remarkable version of the song, plus some remixes for a new EP, Closer to Tomorrow, and I'm going to talk to him about this project. Hi, Matt. Hi. I'm looking forward to yeah, we've uh, we've uh, conversed a little bit um, over email and message, and uh, you're so attentive and thorough when it comes to uh, listening and and reviewing stuff. So this is uh, this is an honor. Uh, it's an honor for me as well because, I, as I said to you before we started recording, um, the reprise version of this song, which is the new recording. I just don't think I'm ever going to get over. There are certain songs I never get over. I'll be listening to them forever. They're going to break my heart forever. This is one of them. But I'm going to start on a different note with a, actually a question about your time in New Zealand because you won the MLT Songwriting Award for Whirlwind, which is an unreleased track or thus far unreleased. You actually had three songs up for that award, I think. So I'm, the odds were good that you were going to win, but did you think this would be the one that, that would win? Um, yeah, so for people listening, uh, that's like the New Zealand Country Music Awards. Uh, well, they're called Country Music Honours now. I think they renamed it. But uh, it was uh, held in Gore, so uh, it's kind of similar to Tamworth in that respect. It's like the hub for country music in New Zealand. And you're right, we were nominated. Uh, I was nominated for Whirlwind. Karen was nominated for a song called Prairie Song, and we were nominated together for a song called Love You Like I Can. Uh, all three songs will eventually appear on the Matt Jogau and Karen Fields record, but so that we could like get a few entries and we put them under our own names, uh, which is true because I did write Whirlwind and she did write Prairie Song, but uh, we certainly didn't expect to be nominated for all three. We thought we might get one you know, one through. Uh, so that was, first of all, a surprise. And I really, did you ask me, did I expect that one to win? No, I didn't. In fact, we'd had such a good time. It was this wonderful backstage vibe rather than an award show where you sit in the crowd and you walk up to get your award and you go back down and nobody really interacts with anyone else. All the artists were backstage. So Fanny Lumsden was there. Jenny Mitchell was there. Uh, Mel Parsons, Delaney. Karen, uh, all these wonderful, wonderful artists who um, I've been fortunate enough to to meet most of them uh, through touring or or even online. Uh, so we're just all hanging out and there was a really good atmosphere. So we all played, performed. And I think at that point when they announced it, I'd gone back to the dressing room to sort of pack up. I wanted to get away before all the traffic and crowds and stuff. And Karen was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, packing up. And they're like, oh, you should come out here. And I'm like, eh. So I really did not think that that would happen. I, I, I don't know why. I just was like, ah, well, we've kind of done our thing. And then, yeah, they said my name. And it was uh, one of those moments where you're like, oh, okay. That's, this, is, this is cool. You know, I really, 
didn't expect it. I think also because I played first. Right. On the night. So it was like right at the start of the night. And I'm like, okay, that's done. Uh, if anything, I thought it would have been the Love You Like I Can song, which Karen and I which will be our next single, which is a really, you know, uh, real foot tapper. But uh, yeah, it's a wonderful honor. It's it's always nice to be recognized. Um, you know, I'd be the first to to say that competitions in art they always they always make me a little bit uncomfortable, but it's it helps. You know, publicity wise, it helps, and you got to you got to use any advantage you can these days. So you know, I'll take it. Well, it's also good to test yourself, I guess, against whatever else is out there. I understand what you mean about, you know, competitions being a little bit odd because it's a subjective decision to choose the song, but there are objective elements to that decision. Yeah, yeah, of course, you know, and, um, yeah, you know, there's, there are a bunch of great songs, a bunch of great artists, uh, you know, was Whirlwind any better than any of the others? I mean, you know, who's to say, but ultimately on the night they chose that song. And and like I said, I'm thankful for that. I think for me, because th- the song itself is about breaking the cycle of generational family violence. And I thought it might be a bit heavy, mm-hmm. but it was the song I happened to write because Karen had already written Prairie Song and I'm like, it's a damn good song. And which is the good thing about us. We need, we sort of like push each other. So I'm like, I really need to come up with something good. And I, I guess the way to generally uh, make sure of that is to is to write something honest, and and that way you've at least, you know, you've at least been authentic in what you're trying to deliver. Mm-hmm. I'm still quite entertained at the idea of you thinking you're going to get out early and beat the traffic, though. It's like oh, yeah. it's a war night. No, well, Karen, no, she was like, "Get out of here!" I was like, "Oh yeah." Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was pretty funny, actually, because then I had to race from, like, the dressing room out, round the back, at the stage. Yeah, pretty funny, pretty funny. It was it was, uh, it was, was a fun night because my friend Delaney Davidson and Tammy Nielsen, Willie Nelson, they won for a, their song, and I'm touring with Delaney mm. up your ways, Sydney ways on September 8th, so, yeah. You are. You have a couple of, at least a couple of dates with him. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, we're playing together. Sep eight, Sydney. Sep nine in Melbourne, and I also play some other shows around New South Wales. I'll be on the websites, but yeah, it's great interacting with all these different artists. And um, you know, I have a show with Brad of Copperline, who who you've chatted with. I just, it's great to just keep collaborating and and connecting with these other artists. Mm-hmm. And collaboration is what you're doing with Karen, of course, because. You released your heart of gold. You were on tour together. It was quite an extensive tour. Like there were quite a lot of dates. It's still going in a way because it's the we just got home from Adelaide, South Australia. Sorry, and um, that's still part of the Your Heart of Gold tour. So we just got one more show, and then that's thirty, I think thirty or so show, uh, and then that's that single. I mean, we we definitely got every bit out of that single, <laughs> uh, and then. The second single, yeah, it's October, which I think I believe I'll be chatting with you about because our publisher just sent us an email. I'm like, love Sophie, so that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh did your did your interpretation of that one song change as you were playing it throughout the tour? Because as you said, almost 30 dates. So you know, of your heart of gold, the, the, yeah. the yeah. Well, 
we recorded a couple of songs that we felt would be a good potential first single. And that one came out on top. Uh, and listening back, I, I, I'm glad we did. But, you know, we mixed the I mixed the song really like I was going hard to get it done in time. This was all a push for time. We were on tour. Karen was editing the video, so I'm hearing the song back there. Every night we're singing the song. I think we did 10 dates in a row at one point, so I'm singing it 10 times in a row. So you you, you can't help but get a little bit like, okay, you know. Um, but then we got back to Australia, and I think we had a week or two off from the New Zealand tour dates. And so we played it the other day in Melbourne and playing it in South Australia to close the show. Wow. And I, I was thinking like, oh, this, this is a good song. You know, like I can see why people like this. It's got a great vibe. Um, and I think that it's, it's actually got a little bit more weight than, you know, you might just be like, oh, this is kind of sweet and breezy, but um, I think it's still, you know, has, has poignant elements, certainly in the bridge. Mm -hmm. reveal and it takes you back to that nostalgia and uh feel like a child again and stuff like that i really like when it gets to the bridge so and you know as you know because you watch a lot of live music 30 shows the song develops mm -hmm. you've kind of taken it to a new place and that's always exciting I also wonder when you've recorded it in, in those circumstances so you've recorded that one song you're working towards recording more with karen yeah Given that the song might have evolved over that time, are you tempted to re-record it? Yeah, no, I, I, you're always... I'd, I'd rather record a live version because mm -hmm. when we record a studio version, that's documented. Right. And that is a moment in time. Uh, so I don't re-record things. That's my mentality. I know that my co-producer, Andy, sometimes is like, I really like to re-record, you know, some stuff off seven years because we didn't have... Uh, a lot of money we had small studios we're sort of trying to it was really hard to to get it to sound how we wanted to and now we have this really nice studio and and a lot more experience I think he's like I can do it better now but for me I'm like no that that's that moment though and that's that I, moment we captured that so yeah I, I I leave things how they are but uh you know I can't help but sometimes hear it and go oh, I wish I'd done that but you know, that's that's the way it is. Well, that's a good segue to talking about Between Tonight and Tomorrow, the song, because this is not a re-recording of the song. It's actually a different interpretation in one part, the reprise, which is which will be the single off the EP, and then there are the remixes. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering what the impetus was for the new EP. Great question. Um, well, a couple of reasons. We'd release between tonight and tomorrow and touring the song a few of my dates were solo or trio and so I strip it back to just me and an acoustic guitar and rather try to make a sort of uh, a song that paled in comparison by trying to hit the guitar the same way and pretend we had a drum kit and Mm -hmm. I, I try not to do that. I'm like, we'll give people a different version. We don't have the drums and the bass. This is just me and a guitar. And it started to mold into that finger picking shape, which which then changed the delivery of the vocals. And um, 
and then we changed the instrumentation instead of electric guitar we put Andy on a mandolin and uh and this new song was born out of that as a and then as a response to the to the fans and who were really enjoying that they were like some of them on the tour had the album uh, and so they'd say I want where, where's it like, like that like sound like that and I'm like what well, that doesn't that doesn't sound like that you're like I want that version um so we sort of thought hmm, okay and I and I put it in the back of my mind and then uh you know obviously my mother passed away and uh I played that song at her funeral in that style right. uh, in the reprise style and uh so it was finger picked and guitar and mandolin and uh I thought it would be nice to to dedicate that song to her uh, and the EP to her um, because I believe the first time I played the song live was to her. That I'm, in fact it was. So that was sort of like a little gift that I gave her. So the song has a lot of it, uh, sentimental mm -hmm. myself and. So if I could, you know, just be artistic and creative, I wanted to just do it for myself, really. Uh, I had no, uh, you know, there was no thoughts that it was going to, to, to do really well on radio or something. It's a slow, introspective song. So it wasn't trying to be some single. But I love that about EPs. You know, you can be more creative because it's not an album. You know, you don't have... Um, a publicist saying like how how am i gonna push this you know like mm. so you can bend the rules a bit and in doing that i thought well if we're gonna bend the rules we might well bend them even more and i'll do some electronic remixes as well while we're bending the rules we might as well full bend the rules yeah. um, because i wouldn't you know i'm not an electronic artist i wouldn't release albums of electronic music so this was just a good uh avenue uh to be able to release these songs and uh hopefully uh people will will find something they enjoy on the ep you mentioned playing a song at your mother's funeral and it, the reprise version does have the quality of a hymn i think when i was listening to it the first time but also continuing to listen to it it, it can change shape the song upon that, repeating that scene. well the song's now about her right so that's the difference so the delivery in the original um was not about her mm -hmm. right it was about an individual who's who's lost and trying to find and, and sort of the irrationality in 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 that state that can come to us all and and then that moment late at night between tonight and tomorrow where where you have to try and hold on and get through that. So, uh, but then the song kind of became her song. So then the delivery on this reprise is uh, is very much sung for her. So, so perhaps that's what you're picking up on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When did you write the song? Um, geez, what are we? 2023. Uh, <laughs> I wrote it at the start of lockdown, so 2020. Oh. Yeah. And did we release the record 2022? When did I release the record? Did I release it this year? You did. Oh. <laughs> you, you had a bit of music out this year. So, yeah, this year. Uh, 
<laughs> so maybe 2020, 2021, it was, it, I had it for a little while. Uh, and I think that, but, but writing the song, I wasn't performing it. I'd just written it, you know, because I was sort of backlogged for record. Mm -hmm. um, and then the pandemic just made that even worse. So then it all got extended out. Mm -hmm. But it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's just one of those songs. You know, every artist has a few and it's not really about them necessarily being hits or anything like that. I don't even know if that exists anymore for Americana artists, but some songs just connect, mm -hmm. you know can't really predict what they're going to be and they're not necessarily singles you know i have a song off my second album called georgia rose that was never a single that's constantly asked for at shows i have a song called i let you be off my first album that's constantly asked for at shows so neither of the, oh i let you be was a single but a late single off the record so you just never really know and i think with between tonight and tomorrow it was the same thing uh i wasn't really sure how people would react to it um but there was such a great response. So yeah, I think people will enjoy this reprise as as you have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm worrying, wondering also, because the lyrics are yeah, very tightly constructed. So I'm wondering when you wrote it, did they come first or was it the melody or the chords? The chord the the mel the chords came first, but I knew that um we had something pretty powerful with that chord progression and in the style because. I've sort of talked about this with musicians. I play I play guitar a little unorthodox. I learned, I taught myself. Uh, and on that song in particular, I'm sort of, I use a lot of down up stroke with the thumb. It's a little bit unorthodox, but it works really well for that initial da -da 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 -da, that sort of tone and sound. So it's like my style helped create that part and I'm like oh this is really good this part like I don't write these progressions every day so then I felt a pressure to come up with uh poignant lyrics if I if I could manage that uh, and I also wanted lyrics that had a lot of space so you could deliver them and then mm -hmm. just and then deliver them and sit back because it's not it's not that many words in the song I think there's mm -hmm. There might be four lines, like two in each verse, and then the chorus. So I had to make the most of the lines that I had. Yeah. Well, the idea of space, because um, I did think about the idea of space in relation to this song, because, yes, there's space on the original recording. There's even more space on this one. The space is there for the listener to find themselves in, but it also functions like negative space in art, where, you know, you're asked to draw the negative space not the actual object in front of you, and the idea being that the space is as important as the object because you can put whatever you want, I guess, into that space or you can project whatever you want to into that space. Yeah, you learn that later as a musician or as a producer. You learn how important that space is and how it can lift up the lines you have or the parts that you, that you do have. Um, the song itself was tracked live off the floor, so... Mm -hmm playing and singing that at the same time, uh, which is not really that common anymore. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to just, I guess, capture a performance. Um, so, yeah, we were just set, set around and I think one or two takes and that was it. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I played the song on tour for, you know, if I couldn't get it right in a song, <laughs> I'd be questioning my abilities 
possibly. But still, because you are a producer, I would think there's an element of self-criticism there, like just, you know, getting it right. The idea of getting it right is different for you as a producer perhaps than as a performer. Here's the irony to that, though. If you focus too much on getting it right, it will sound like shit. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you go, need to focus on getting this so right, I guarantee it'll, you got to find the performance and that's away from that pressure if you can, which is, you know, that's the juggling act, right? That's the balance. Yeah. And related to the idea of space, I think is the use of the term, the in-between in the lyrics. And I do think that's, that's possibly a big element of why people relate to it there are other elements in the song but just the way you phrase that it's simple but it's it's incredibly effective because the in-between between tonight and tomorrow then could be between past and present it could be between last century and this century you know there's there's different ways to interpret that for the listener or where you possibly feel the night ended and the next day started because Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily at midnight with what you feel you know people yeah Often, uh, you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., and people still say it's tonight, right? Yeah. Well, it's now the next day. So where's that point where the the day is changing, it's changing into the next day, and in that point is, you know, can be that darkest hour where Mm -hmm. we're battling with comes to you, and that's kind of what the song is, is... trying to comfort you and tell you to hold on through so I try to the the song has an element of hope I think (laughs) yeah because the promise of tomorrow is there but also just in thinking about what's happened in your life recently the in-between could also describe grief it's that period of stasis almost or or limbo if you want to use that term Mm -hmm. between what you knew and what's coming yeah definitely I think you know there's always uh I think as a lyricist you try to layer a few meanings and I guess with that you cast a net mm-hmm. and that people can connect with it for their own interpretation interpretation of your lyrics and I think good lyrics um have you know there's they can be somewhat esoteric but in that you you can find your own meaning if you do it you know if you construct them uh well enough yeah mm-hmm. And you mentioned Andrew Pollock, who's your longtime collaborator, who played with you on this on the reprise recording. Um, and I imagine he understands intrinsically what you need on a recording, perhaps because you've been playing together for so long. Because there is a there is a sense of alchemy on that recording that yeah. it's not like you can instruct someone else to do that for you. Well, he flew over to the funeral to play the mandolin, okay. yeah, just for that. So. Uh... You know, says a lot about him as as an individual. Yeah, we're like brothers, really. Uh, but I don't know what it is, 15, 16 years, we've known each other a long time. Uh, and these days, outside of sort of the big event, like birthdays and things like that, but it's really, we just sort of come together in a, in a musical space. That's sort of where we've, where we mainly communicate. Uh, and he... Yeah, yeah, we definitely, I mean, there's so much on that recording that we don't talk about because we just assume that mm-hmm. this and this will be this and the tone will be this and the room mics will be this and, you know, I'll do this, I'll 
sing in this style, you'll play here. And that's all sort of assumed. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that mix was really quick is yeah, I, like we tracked it and then it was, it was mixed very quickly. The, yeah, again, it's hopefully all in the performance. I mm -hmm. think. Uh, you do all the work there and then this, I mean, you track yourself when you sing it live anyways, because there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So if it's too loud or too quiet or needs auto-tuning and all that sort of stuff, you can't. Even <laughs> if you wanted to, you know, you, you couldn't because it's all through the one mic. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, in thinking about your other recordings, the the song that came to mind actually was the version you did of Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, um, because that is uh that's a very different interpretation of that song. It's 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 very much your interpretation of it. And I think it involved, well, my listening of it, it involved a process of recreating the song almost so that it made sense for you as an artist. So in thinking about uh, you know, remaking between tonight and tomorrow, I'm wondering if there was a sense for you almost of approaching it as a cover so like how do I how do I come at this in a different way yeah it's it's really interesting <laughs> to think about because you know you you go down the road of an Americana artist and you're so used to picking up your guitar and and you go oh, the drums will go here the bass will go here and um and there's nothing wrong with that there's that's that's your bread and butter uh but then there are some songs that you have that I've had in the past that you you think, I wonder how this would have sounded, you know, delivered a little bit differently. Um, uh, maybe not to the extent of the remixes, but certainly with different instrumentation. And you think, I wonder how that would have gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess with this song, it was my engineer, Chris, he sparked it and he was like, I guess to take it back, this is the one song when I came into the studio between tonight and tomorrow and my drummer and my engineer and co-producer, they were like, that's the song, that's a great song. You know, So there was sort of that energy. And then when Chris, he's like, I, I really love this song. I think that we should remix it. And I'm mm -hmm. like, really? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So that's where it started. Uh, and it, it was an opportunity for me. I, I have a relatively varied taste and, we sort of went down that massive attack, mm -hmm. 90s trip hop, Bristol sound. And it just uh, was an opportunity with the remixes to try different things. I think the emotion comes from the strings on that remix. They're really emotive. Uh, I think there's so much space. You can actually hear the lyrics better in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, because we often mix on the original version, we mix to sound like a band in a room, mm -hmm. right? And obviously a band in a room, the vocals are there with all the stuff but on a remix you can kind of go vocals are here mm -hmm. yeah, strings are here and that's one of the benefits of electronic music i'm not trying to sell you the concept of four people playing their guitars in front of you mm -hmm. it's different so there's different there's different rules and i think we utilize those rules to give uh sort of a sonic space to to the instruments that you don't have on the original so like the solo like you can hear all the delay on the guitar much better actually. Uh, and yeah, like I said, the vocals as well. So yeah, I think like, you know, I'm an Americana artist uh, and I, it was opportunity to bring those songs out off the back of the acoustic reprise. 
So hopefully someone with varied tastes like myself will stumble across them and enjoy them. Uh, that's really all that they're for. Mm -hmm. that, that's all that they're for. Just maybe someone will like them. And, um, you know, there might even be someone who likes that stuff more than the stuff I usually do. That wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> well, and they are different to each other, the two uh, remixes. One's am quite ambient. The other one's a bit more brassy, for lack of a better term. Right. One of them's kind of that 80s, almost like a Phil Collins-esque <laughs> the song right like so, like in the air tonight type vibes yeah but in talking about the vocal being quite prominent in those mixes I remember when I, I spoke to you about the album earlier in the year and you were saying that for the recording of the album your voice was actually brought a lot more forward than it had been on previous records it was more about you and your harmonica and your guitar and uh I guess that's a necessary process to get to your voice being more prominent on these remixes for you as an artist to think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. I'm right at the front. Yeah. Yeah. It, my last record, uh, Break, Rattle and Roll, it was a, we consciously, I want to say buried the vocals, but we, we definitely, they're definitely lower than most modern recordings. Um, but, you know, they're not lower than the Stones. It's about, we sort of set the level to about where Mick Jagger's vocals are surprisingly low on Exile on Main Street, stuff like that. So, and we had to do that because the concept was to have a record with a lot of stuff. And you just can't have a lot of stuff and then a vocal over the top. It just sounds really, it just, yeah, juxtaposed. It doesn't work. So we needed to have us all kind of, again, sound like a whole bunch of people all you know, making noise together. Uh, and then with Between Tonight and Tomorrow, obviously that was more centered around uh, myself and my acoustic guitar with the band a little bit further behind me uh, to try and deliver something different. And, and I think it just served the songs better. So yeah, you're right. We took it a step further with the reprise, stripped it back even more uh, to just, I think that allows the vocal to shine and it's a it's a really close mic approach, mm -hmm. slightly different vocal approach as well, like a hymn or a lullaby, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Do you think you now have a different relationship with this song and perhaps even with your voice after recording the reprise version in particular? Well, I feel like it's a chapter closed now, yeah. uh, which. And we didn't really know when to do it, obviously, as we've just talked about. I've got a lot of releases with Karen and just released my record a few months ago. And um, But Andy uh, and, and Chris and myself, we really wanted to, to get these songs out there and, you know, make sure they got what, what they deserve and, and are heard by people. So, I'm, yeah, I think it's a, a chapter closed. Uh, on the song and on that that period of my life uh, and you know, a, a, an opportunity to uh, pay tribute to my mother, the person who really uh, was instrumental in my career and, and started it all for me. So, yeah, I think it was a fitting. Yeah. And to bring it back to where we started, to talking about your collaboration with Karen Fields, I'm interested for you as a songwriter, because you write 
quite a lot. Uh, when you're coming up with songs now, are you thinking that's for that project or are you still keeping a few things for yourself? Is it hard to tell the difference these days? You, you ask good questions. So i got to say, so you are really good. Um, that's a great question and I can answer it really specifically because Karen and I have discussed this. I write to, I write to uh, briefs. So I find it easier with set directions. I think she writes more like she just writes like, and then kind of, I mean, it's not like she doesn't write to, she, she said herself that she was sort of inspired by the, the way that I do that. We sort of approach things differently. Uh, and she is writing for her record, but even if she wasn't, I know her, she just writes. Whereas I'll write and say, right, okay, so Fleur needs this. And so I'm gonna write in this fashion with her. And then I, Karen, we need an upbeat song. Get my guitar, write an upbeat song. And my record needs it. So I work better in that way. Okay. Uh, that's not to say I do that all the time. Sometimes just you expressing whatever comes out and then you can find out a place for it later. And we've all had songs that sit around for a long, long time. But lately and in the last few years yeah i prefer writing to to a brief uh and i find that prevents my songs getting backlogged because i've got a direct avenue to be released like i wrote a song called too far to go with the weeping willows mm. i wrote that song 15 years ago uh yeah now uh it was released a couple years ago with them but it just sat around and it annoyed the shit out of me because i'm like it's a good song i couldn't find a place for it until I worked with them uh and so i try to avoid that because otherwise these songs they build up you're like and they're chatting in your ear like release me release me i'm like <laughs> oh, get there so now i'm just like i write yeah specifically uh so if the floor you mentioned is Fleur wyber who uh, released an album called Parramatta river and you wrote uh with her on that produced the album because you also produce for other people um and uh, now what you said about you write to briefs makes me wonder who like how do you brief yourself because that's that's almost like a stepping outside of your own consciousness well, in a way. yeah interesting i mean she'd um I listened to the song she already had for the record uh, because I came on board later and I had a conversation with her. I said, I think your record needs this. Hmm. She was like, okay. Um, I said, send me some ideas. And we went back and forth. And I happened to be at, um, I was on tour and I was at Bradley's house from Coppoline and I was staying at his place in, in Manana. Yeah. He had a show. I think I was at Majors Creek Festival, something like that. And I stayed at his house and he had an old piano. And so I was just sort of sitting there by myself, uh, having a having a relaxing drink on tour by myself, as you do, and just playing the piano. And that's where that song Arma sort of really uh, found its feet. Uh, she'd had the lyrics and some ideas, but I really fleshed it out there on that piano. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, that was because I felt the record needed that. And with the Matt Jogow and Karen Fields record, um, we were trying to find a last song and I felt it needed to be here and we'd sort of throw on things at it. She'd come up with songs and 
I come up with songs, but I'm like, right, I need to really write a song in kind of this style. So I guess luckily at this point in my career, I have enough of an understanding in how to sort of steer it in a certain direction. Mm -hmm. But that does suggest that that you are thinking of these as whole projects. It is therefore not just, oh, here's a song and this is great and I, I will hold on to it for a while or I'll slot it in somewhere. It's actually this is this yeah. is a song cycle or a whole a whole big arc of a story. That's right. Yeah, I write albums more than I write songs. Uh, I write songs for albums. Hmm. I'll call it old-fashioned, but this is how I like to, to write. Um, I don't write, you know, be like being a novelist versus someone who writes short stories. Um, so, I yeah, I like to see how it slots into a, a body of work. That's the that's a really exciting part. And then, you know, how that fits in with the artwork and how that artwork fits in with your branding and the music video. So the whole thing is this sort of really exciting creative package. Um, you know, that's where I get the most joy from. I think. And as you mentioned video, I will say, um, even though I said I was going back to the start, I'm deviating from that to go back to the single because you have a video for it. I do have a video coming out. Yeah, you, you've, I think you've seen it, but it, I'm not sure if it's, oh, it might be out when, uh, when right now when this is, but if not, it will definitely be out very soon on, on YouTube. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. And so you, you enjoy, it sounds like you do enjoy the video making process. Well, yeah, it's interesting we chat about that just quickly, but the video was shot on Super 8 millimeter film, uh, which I love working with. I love film. Um, and then edited by Karen. So Karen had said, you should make a music video to the song. And I'm like, uh, I guess so. Yeah, we can shoot something. And she mentioned that footage. And I'm like, we don't have much footage because our camera broke. Right. So there's like, literally two minutes of footage turned into like a three and a half minute song with like slow-mo like that's using everything we had um right. all the effects but what i love is like there are no effects on the, so it really fits the song there are no effects on the camera there's no it's just the super eight footage all the film burn and everything yeah, right. we shot that for the original video but then if you've seen the video to the original between tonight and tomorrow we got some extra footage in George Lane taken in one shot. And my editor was like, you should just use the one shot. That's really cool. So we ended up doing that. So then this footage was left over and here we are with it being used for Between Tonight and Tomorrow reprise, which is why, you know, the two, again, they kind of link. Like mm -hmm. I'm wearing and, and it's filmed on the a similar time. Yeah. So you like Beyonce banking your footage. Yeah. Beyonce is always filming. There's this video, there's there's photos just stored in the archive ready for use. Content for sure, for sure. But Super 8 millimeter film so expensive. I mean, I don't know how much of that I can bank, but I'm really glad that that the video was uh that we're able to release it. I didn't think we'd have enough. I thought we'd just do a visualizer or something with some slow effect looping. And mm -hmm. Karen uh, with her magic was like, I can make a video out of this. So I'm like. Okay, which is really cool because, like, we work together on our project, but we help each other out with our own stuff as well, like mm -hmm. project and her solo project and stuff. So, yeah. Another great collaboration, like the one with Andrew Pollock. Mm, exactly. Yeah, and no, it's really similar. 
you know, like if Andy and I are brothers, Karen and I are, are like brother and sister, it, it is a very similar dynamic in some ways. And then also like, also, also really different as well. Um, because Karen and I, we do like the same thing, you know? So that that's, that's really interesting. I don't know if I've ever shared yeah, I've definitely had good friends and I've already just mentioned them in this interview who do the same thing, but I've, I've not been in a, like a collaborative project where I'm making an album. Mm -hmm. This is something new for me. Yeah. Well, that is your next project. Although I'm sure there will be others <laughs> weaving in and out of that project. And you'll also be doing some dates as a solo artist, which will be on your website, which you do keep updated regularly. Cool. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, people can prepare for those shows or just simply listen to the Closer to Tomorrow EP because it's wonderful. Congratulations, Matt, and great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.